So Reed, there's a new voice around our household. I mentioned to you that I have a soon-to-be eight-month-old baby, and he is starting to talk. Okay, okay. Uh, I got permission to share a little bit of his voice with us, so I wanted to get your reaction to this. So what do you think, future podcaster? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds just like our intro. So get him on some sponsorships, and uh, we'll go from there. Maybe he could do a podcast about pediatric care. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 341. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Yeah, this is Chris Boyer, not my little one. It's yeah. Uh, okay, I just want to make sure. I, I almost paused. I wasn't sure who I was talking to at this point. <laughs> no, very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for another week, another episode of Touchpoint. Quick plug for the website touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can find out more about this show and all the other episodes. While you're there, the TPS report, you'll notice it up in the top navigation. Click on that name, email address, and you will start receiving one email a week from us with five articles that hopefully are a little value add as you get started on a Monday morning. So we'll pause here for a second, let you go do that on whatever digital device that you're on, and then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So Reed, there is a lot of talk around AI and how AI is being used in healthcare. And in fact, I'm doing a webinar this week. Um, Basically, you could throw a rock and hit a webinar about AI nowadays and how it's being used in healthcare. But I think a lot of it is talking about generative AI which is, you know, sort of the, the parlor trick, yeah, <laughs> right? Because there's, there's a lot of coolness around chat GPT and BARD and how it's going to be used. Yeah. So it's like for old people. <laughs> well, no, that would be, that'd be geriatric AI. <laughs> right? and, and a new type of AI, not one that we're going to talk about today, because there are really a number of subfields of AI that are currently being used in healthcare. And often these have been in place for a long time. So AI is not new in our space. And we're going to go through a number of these. And so we'll kind of rattle through and hopefully give you know some sort of a level set, maybe, or at least a place if you want to go do a little bit more research or kind of dig in. This may clue you in to kind of where to go. You know, uh, I think we use a lot of these terms interchangeably. So uh, it's a good way to good way to get going. Yeah. And then a little later, we're going to be joined by friend of the show, friend of the pod, Ed yeah. Bennett. Yeah. This is like his 57th time on the show or something like that. No, I think it's like yeah, think he's, so. he's nearing double digits now. So, <laughs> yeah, I think contractually he has to come on like every uh, 50 episodes or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, but before we get to his interview where he shares about his thoughts about AI, let's go through some of these applications. I had the first one read machine learning. We've talked about machine learning on the show before, but that's really used to analyze large volumes of data, particularly healthcare data, typically from like EMRs or medical images or even genomic data to identify patterns and make predictions and assist in diagnosis and treatments. And a really good example of that is where organizations are using it around hospital readmissions. Several healthcare organizations in the U.S. have implemented machine learning models to identify patients that are at a higher risk of being readmitted to the hospital shortly after discharge. And then they use that as a way to intervene and reduce readmission rates. So this has been in play for quite a while now, right? Machine learning in healthcare. Yeah, I would say so. And that's probably the most common. I think when people, well, actually, there may be a couple of others here, but that is a very common subset of AI. I think when people say AI, that's what they're actually talking about. Another one on the list that uh, has been in the news a lot over the last several years, deep learning, which is uh, a subset that involves training artificial uh, neural networks to learn and extract intricate features from complex healthcare data. So think imaging, pathology, you know, things like that. So a, a very common subset of this is, and I've seen some of these companies that actually run scans over large data sets to look at things like CTs to pick up on, I guess, some, some things that you know, they weren't in to look at it in the first place, right? So like lung nodules. So you're in a car wreck, you come in, you have a CT, you know, the physicians are looking for a certain thing and maybe not looking for subsequent reasons that you're not there, right? So this is a way to go back and scan all those images and pick up other diagnoses or, or, or things like lung nodules that, you know, could flag and be a follow-up. Another kind of subset or a sub-focus of AI is around natural language processing or NLP, That enables computers to understand and analyze human language. And NLP is used, ChatGPT does that a little bit. But really, if you think about anything that listens into voice or listens into text like chatbots, clinical documentation, medical coding, anything like that. So a good example of this is looking at clinical documentation and electronic health records. I think most of the EMRs are implementing AI solutions using NLP to extract meaningful information from unstructured clinical text, such as physician notes or discharge summaries or patient reports, that sort of thing. And that can really help to lead to, first of all, reducing administrative tasks, uh, because providers don't like to do that a lot. They'd rather be focusing on the care of their patients. But moreover, it really enables things like telemedicine to be able to listen to a telemedicine call and transcribe that into clinical notes. Next on the list, computer vision um, so this, again, sound, some of these start to sound relatively similar. That's why we're putting the um, kind of use cases in here, I guess. But it involves, you know, healthcare's opportunity to, you know, look at images and assist in the diagnosis and treatment and even, you know, classification. So radiology, pathology for sure. But some other opportunities here is if you think about uh, the surgical world. This is, you know, allows for some image-guided surgery systems to to work the way that they do. Also, you know, in real time, how do you aid a surgeon through the use of localization during procedures? Also, can you know, monitor patient behavior and movement to help prevent falls? And so, there's some safety and quality pieces are here uh, as well. So, some cool use cases. Yeah, absolutely. And you are right. These kind of all blend together to a certain extent, but they have different sub-disciplines, so to speak. So it's important to say that deep learning and computer vision are two separate applications of AI. In this particular case, it's looking at images, you know, in a certain way. Here's another one that kind of overlaps with these, robotics and automation. This is where we find applications in surgical procedures, even rehabilitation of physical assistance for patients. Robots that are equipped with AI algorithms can assist surgeons perform precise surgical interventions and even, you know, help support elderly and disabled individuals at in at-home applications. So one that we have seen read since oh gosh, for years now is these robotic surgical systems like I'm going to drop the brand name Da Vinci. They actually assist 
surgeons with robotic arms, slight finger touches, or even feet movements become very, very precise. And I, I know it's used, it's been used for years now in healthcare. This is an AI application that really didn't get its due until recently because, you know, people think of it as robotics. Well, it's the same built on the same AI here. Another fashion, expert systems, is what it sounds like, right? Um, it's just adding an expert to your team, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but it uses uh, you know, large knowledge bases, things like that, reasoning techniques to provide specialized medical expertise and decision support. Everybody's heard, I say everybody's heard, a lot of people have heard of IBM Watson, for example, it's an AI-powered system. In this case, for example, uh, would assist an oncologist in making treatment decisions for cancer patients. So it's pulling together things from the medical record, from the pathology reports, you know, scientific literature, published you know, papers, things like that. Wraps all that together and gives some level of interpretation that provides uh, the physician a way to uh, support and really roll out more of a personalized cancer care journey. Someone that's been on the show recently, he called it like the co-pilot, right? I think Microsoft yeah. calls it the co-pilot. This is co-pilot, co-pilot, yeah. Okay, then we get to generative AI. We're not done with the list, but generative AI is here. This uses AI algorithms to generate new content. And the new content can be used in a variety of different ways. Obviously, we've talked a lot about it in the context of how it could create blog posts and other things for your website, etc. But there are generative AI models in place right now such as generative adversarial networks or GANs. They're utilized to, re- to generate realistic synthetic medical data, including images, patient records, and genomic sequences. And these are used to augment limited or privacy-sensitive real-world data that is widely used by researchers and developers to create larger, more diverse data sets for training and testing other AI algorithms kind of now is eating, it's like it's the snake eating its own tail here. Oh, boy. Next one on the list, which everybody has at least uh, probably uttered these words, predictive analytics. This means a lot of things to a lot of people, certainly, but it's forecasting, right? Not forecasting in the sense that it's a math equation that you know helps with financials necessarily, but the way that you can actually analyze and look at what you know predictably is going to happen. This could be clinical data, financial data, marketing data, whatever it may be, but they're using learning algorithms to learn, if we're talking about clinical data, patterns, risk factors, et cetera, to then predict the likelihood that that is then going to happen again, right? So this could be falls, it could be sepsis, it could be a lot of different things, readmission rates, et cetera. And so that's you know something that's kind of interesting is that you know with large data sets and historical views into the world of things that did happen and what lead to those what led to those things happening allows you to in theory predict and, and hopefully head off or you know maybe something you want to happen over and over again. We just have a few left here, Reed, because you know it's interesting as we kind of did our research on this. There's so many applications here. The next one is around data mining and knowledge discovery. Using AI for data mining allows you to extract valuable insights and knowledge from large healthcare data sets. And where we see this happening is a lot in public health, because really it's a way to stretch across various different types of data sets that are not structured the right way to begin to structure them in a way so you can analyze them in a consistent way. Applying AI algorithms to these various data sets, you can start to identify trends, risk factors, patterns related to disease prevalence, treatment effectiveness, healthcare utilization, population health. We see this a lot when we hear these reports about you know, the impact of COVID on uh, the United States population or the worldwide population. AI, data mining, and knowledge discovery is the driver behind all of this because it'll take an army of people to do that in real life. And this is where we really apply this type of approach with AI in healthcare. Last one on the list, decision support systems. Everybody has this, you know, as a department in a lot of cases within their health system. And this is going to sound a lot like expert systems, right? But, you know, we've got the ability to integrate or kind of mesh AI and data analytics into our decision support systems to create and provide clinicians and other caregivers evidence-based recommendations, kind of real-time guidance, you know, around diagnoses or treatment, 
uh, you know, personalized care decisions, et cetera. So ingesting all the information from like EHRs, not just about that particular patient, but around the populations as a whole. Um, so we're able to actually say, well, here's what should happen here. You know, so hopefully we can head off an adverse event or, you know, be more personalized in the care that they receive. This is where you start to see digital therapeutic AI solutions come into play to kind of help people and, and you know, in with diabetes care management, again, overlap with chronic care management. You could see the, these digital therapeutic AI solutions being applied often in healthcare to supplement, if not be the first pass of when someone's, you know, intervening with their care, how a health system or, you know, a care team can start to work with that individual uh, patient or potential patient. So lots of different applications of AI in healthcare, Reed. And this isn't new to our industry. Generative AI is new. But this stuff is not new. It's been here for a while, right? It has. You know, the application of it sometimes, or maybe not sometimes, maybe all the time varies. And there's, you know, opportunity there, certainly. You know, I'm thinking around decision support, for example. You know, really even some of the computer vision stuff or NLP even. So, um, I mean, I think there's obviously opportunity to optimize a lot of this. But excited to uh, hear a little bit more from Ed. Yeah, so Ed and I sat down and we talked a little bit about his opinions about generative AI, particularly. Since he manages the martech.health website, he understands all the different players that are coming into the space. And he's also a guy who kind of dabbles and plays around and investigates these. He's got some interesting opinions about AI itself. The interview is really great. And in true fashion, Ed is uh, sharing his opinions and I think you'll really enjoy them. So let's take a brief pause here and then you and I will be back to close out the show. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am excited to have on our favorite guest, a friend of the pod. <laughs> you you are like probably the most preeminent voice that comes on this show outside of me and Reed. And that's our good friend, Ed Bennett. Ed, welcome back to the eighth or ninth time you've been on this show. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. And I'm going to add friend of the pod to my uh, list of credentials. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's worth a lot. Make sure to put that on LinkedIn. You have been on this show so many times before. You are one of the authoritative voices, one of the voices that we all turn to about all things that are going on in our space. And it's always a pleasure to have some time to chat with you and get your voice, you know, out to our audience again. Uh, it's it's great. But, you know, Ed, before we jump into today's topic, which is going to be a really great conversation, I would love if you could just share a little bit for those maybe one or two people that are listening and that do not know who you are, share a little bit about yourself and what you do. I've been doing web stuff uh, since the mid-90s, making a living on the web since the 1994. Helped a lot of companies get their first website in the late 90s, then took a position at the University of Maryland Medical System in 1999 to establish and lead their digital uh, program, and was there for about 18 years. Did a lot of things uh, first in the industry and had a great time leading a team there and, and, and breaking ground in the digital space for the hospital system. And I left a few years ago to do consulting, but also to establish uh, martech.health, which is a vendor directory I, I run for this industry. So I've been around a long time 
and mm-hmm. I have opinions, and that's why I guess that's why I'm here to share today. <laughs> exactly. We love your opinions. But you also, even with martech.health, which if you have not gone on that site, people listening in, you should definitely go because it's great information about all the different vendors that are out there serving our industry. You can learn a lot about them. I think that gives you the unique ability to kind of keep a finger on the pulse mm-hmm. of what's happening in for health systems and hospitals across the country. Yeah, it does. It's, right now, the thing that's happening is the vendors are are, are merging. <laughs> uh, companies are buying other companies and merging or part partnering. And so a lot of time I spend, I've got a database of over a thousand companies now on martech.health. So we spend we spend some time going through in a you know changing names or merging different profiles uh, as the as companies merge so it's a uh, it's always fun <laughs> yeah absolutely well that coupled with your passion about this the space and the technology i think is going to lead well to our conversation today which i'm colloquially calling ed's positioning on ai and i think i i joke about that a little bit um but ai is just everybody's talking about it everywhere you go AI is just in every conversation, in everything, and and it's it's, it's just permeating. It's insane, it's insane at this point in time. I haven't seen anything like this since I think when the iPhone launched, and suddenly mm-hmm. the whole paradigm changed about how people were going to consume content on the internet, and this whole mobile web thing opened up. Where I think it's a it's kind of equivalent in terms of the hype that's going on about AI. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with the Gartner hype cycle, yeah, uh, yeah, one of my favorite charts out there, uh, and they go out there and they've got this. It looks like a a, a, a ski slope mm-hmm. where they they mark the technologies that are getting the biggest amount of hype. And then the ones that are falling into what they call the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> like, oh, they didn't live up to the hype. It's terrible. We can't do this. And then suddenly there's some things that come out of that that gently go up into a long, long tail curve uh, where we found some th- good things about the technology and we're using it and it's doing some things. It's just not, it's not just not changing the universe like they said it would a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So the hype cycle seems to be something that is just a, fundamental part of the universe in our, our universe it, it, we see this all the time something new mm-hmm. comes out people hype about it it's going to change the world and then of course it it doesn't but you know something good comes out of it in the end and i've never seen as much hype on anything as ai it's just insane it um, really is it's taken off it's taken so much of people's attention that it's hard to you know have a conversation about anything uh in the in, in technology industry without saying well what about ai how's that going to impact your business you know as someone who is not real i'm not an ai expert i'm sort of like just anybody else who's probably listening to this who's been seeing all the buzz and is checking things out and i've got a mm-hmm. chat gtp account and i've played with it a little bit what i'm saying is that first of all there's this flood of companies coming along there's uh, one site that I go to, and I'll, I'll find the link and, and give it to uh, Chris to put mm-hmm. in there, that's doing a pretty good job tracking all the different companies that are popping up that mm-hmm. do AI of some sort. Mm-hmm. The guy's got over a 1,000 companies already uh, in his database. He's got a great newsletter. Uh, it's how I keep tabs on things. And he's getting like dozens and dozens of companies every day starting up saying, we're going to do AI for this or that. And uh, these, you know, 99% of these companies won't be here a year from now. So it gets very confusing if you say, I want to find what's the best AI to help me write a blog post. Uh, there's about a hundred different companies that say they can do that. <laughs> so right. Trying to, right. trying to sort of sort that through is, is a challenge. So I think that the the hype is getting in way is getting into in the way of people being able to take a very calm look at what this stuff can do for us or can't mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing for folks in marketing and uh, and communications inside healthcare industries is to not get sucked into that and to maybe find the one or two things that an AI program can do for them that will really help them. And mm-hmm. I have some suggestions for that, but don't get sucked into worrying about this. This is going to, you know, eliminate everything we do. And, you know, our entire communications department is going away because AI is going to take over. That's yeah. definitely yeah. not going to happen. But don't buy into the hype is what you're saying. Yeah, basically, don't buy into right? the hype. It just yeah. do not. Because for, first of all, to me, the, the, the tools that 
AI can offer you as someone who is in communications and you're, let's say, you know, you're tasked with interviewing physicians and creating profiles for them, doing interviews, writing content the, mm -hmm. and all different types of uh, types of content. So you spend so much time doing the research, doing mm -hmm. the interviews, mm -hmm. pulling together the facts that you need to communicate. And before you even sit down to write the content. Right. And at that point, AI might be able to help you a little bit. If you give it a draft, mm -hmm. it can polish mm -hmm. it up. It can make changes. It can maybe guide you to some some bullet points or other mm -hmm. things that you may may be a different way of organizing it. But what it's not going to do is going to is write the blog post for you. That's the thing that I think people were getting really hung up on. It's not going to take over your job. Not right? at all. Not at right? all. Right. It's it's really yeah. there. And I I see I heard some people talk about this as like you know, AI is is either like consider it like a co-pilot mm -hmm. or an editor for you. Yes. Or even or even, you know, a place where you could go if you have an idea that's kind of in a rough format that you mm -hmm. want to try to synthesize the thought. Mm -hmm. Um I, I was just reading an article about this, like, you know, ways you could practically use AI mm -hmm. in a creative space, in a creative way that's not and, and, and as I was reading it, it it in no way does it say you as the user are no longer valid or no right. longer as important. It's actually to reinforce the creative person in that process. Yes. Um, to, to help them, you know, move that move that along to whatever the next stage is. Yeah. And in terms of thinking of it as a as a as a helper or a tool, uh Chris and I have both been using a tool called Read that is a uh a little plugin for Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. And so I've started using it a month or two ago, and I found it to be very useful. I'll get on a call with someone on, on Zoom, and it's there as a third person in the conversation who's listening to our entire conversation. And then it pops out a summer, a transcript of who's, who said what, and then a summary of here are the topics that were discussed. Here are the action items that each party in the conversation said they would take care of. Here are the open questions that people that are still there. So at the end of it, this is an incredibly useful thing. Yeah. Because in me, instead of me taking notes, I have a rough draft of very detailed notes that I can plug into my CRM to keep track of the call. And I'd have to say that probably it captures 80% of what actually happened. And the other 20% is split between it didn't understand what I meant when I said shishmed. So I had no idea what <laughs> word that was. Um, and there was a little confusion of this and maybe it missed yeah. something. But if, that's incredibly useful. And 80, yeah. yeah, it made me think I, I used to take uh, interviews and send them off to transcription services mm -hmm. where they would listen to the audio and transcribe it and charge me a fee for it. And I get it back in three days. Well, those folks are completely out of business now. Yeah, because AI is, is able to do a much better job. Um, but that's a great example of finding a useful tool that helps you in your in your work, as opposed to worrying about it's going to take over. And I think that's where we have to be at this point. Yeah. And a couple of months ago, I was talking to someone on the show who uh, was talking about AI and telemedicine. Mm -hmm. And he was saying one of the most one of the first applications they're seeing in telemedicine is it's listening into the telemedicine consult and translating it into clinical notes mm -hmm. that the doctor that can then plug into the EMR afterwards, right? right? Uh, how incredibly useful is that? Now, right. he was very cautious to also say, it's not perfect. Right. You still need a human to look at it. That's That, that can't be said <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. I think we've probably all experienced the hallucinations that yeah. AI can do, right? And so, and and the, the dangerous thing is that it does such a good job at mimicking the of uh, the written word of what humans will good writers can write that it looks very very authentic and unless you go and you check every fact you could find yourself into a lot of trouble especially in healthcare anything where i'm giving it all the information in some sort of bulk load of here's all the stuff that i i've been researching here's copy of the text of sources that I've used. Mm -hmm. Can you put a draft together, an outline of something that's on this, and then use that as a starting point to then finish it up and, and, and get it into your voice and so forth. But I think that's the extent of it at this point. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, and you use the term hallucinations. That's actually a term, AI yeah, hallucination, right, exactly. right? That in the lack of having actually credible resources, it comes back. Sometimes AI tools come back right. and state things that seemingly seem authoritative. They and they're written in the natural language, yet it's completely made up. The yeah. AI chatbot just does, or the AI tool just does that. And, and you're right. You know, we as humans sometimes we hear things differently, and we 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 transpose things differently. That's why we're, when even with human in the old fashion, where humans are involved in writing everything and creating things. That's why we have people review it. And I think that that we have to remember there's these checks and balances that you have to have when you're using these tools. I love, by the way, the plugin for Zoom that you talk about. Mm -hmm. It did give me an action item that I was going to pursue scuba diving. And I'm not sure what I said for it to understand that, but I did not say that I was going to do that. I, I live in Minnesota. I'm landlocked. Well, I'm not obviously, it's telling you it's something you should be doing. <laughs> but I only caught that because uh, as I was taking out the action items, right. I was reviewing them. And yeah, you're right. You know, It's like the acronyms, the other things. And in healthcare, we, sometimes our lexicon can get so complicated that if the chat bot, or I keep saying chat bot, but if the AI tool is not properly programmed on the medical language and the linguistics, it's going to make mistakes. That's natural. I'm sure people saw how bad AI was when it was making images and it couldn't, it couldn't get hands right. Yeah. I think just yes. it was a real challenge to have, to have a rent, have a drawing or a picture of somebody's hands and have the right number of fingers and the right configuration on them. And to us, that's like, that is like, how in the world can it get hands right? I mean, it's got all this other stuff and it looks fantastic and the hands are all messed up. So that's that's the pitfall. That's it's so it's so good at certain things that we assume that it's going to be good across the board, but no, it's just good at making you think it knows what it's talking about. And it comes across as like a, it, it it provides you a comprehensive right. summary or whatever you're asking it to. I've actually, and you know, it's it's funny because ChatGPT is a great place where you can experiment with things. I, I've been plugging in a certain blog post and I say, write this as if I'm writing it to healthcare executives. And then it changes right. the tone and the voice, et cetera. And then I say, write to the eighth grade reading level. And mm -hmm. then it changes the tone and the voice. And I started comparing the different drafts. They're more similar than they are different. And that's because, and that to me has shown to me that the the limit there are limitations around right. how you know ChatGPT and these other tools are using even human language and doing human language mm -hmm. translation. It seems great, but it's still a little bit of a parlor trick. Yes, and uh, that's a good word, a parlor trick. Uh, I think though that that's those things are going to continue to improve. Mm -hmm. uh, the image creation AIs had announced with a big fanfare that we we can make hands now. We figured it out. You know? <laughs> like, just like a few months ago, I saw that. I was talking to someone who said they had them do research and come back with something, and it couldn't add two plus three. Mm -hmm. You know, there was like you know, I asked for six things, mm -hmm. and you only gave me four. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, let me try again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's very abrupt when you run into that brick wall of its ignorance mm -hmm. about something that we, mm -hmm. we we assume. What I think will happen with these tools in the context of a communications department inside a healthcare system, mm -hmm. I'm envisioning that we'll see something like, say, Microsoft Word have AI embedded in it, where you have trained the AI on the type of writing your organization does. Here is our style sheet. Uh, here are examples of articles that we've written for our website, for our newsletter. Here are things, examples of things we've written for different audiences, like the C-suite or eighth grade level. And it will digest that and then use that as a, as a, as a template, a guide, so that when you're asking it to help you edit or take a bunch of data and mesh it together into something readable, it's going to use your template to, mm. to make that happen. 
I think once those tools start getting nailed down, uh, it's, it's, I think they call it edge AI, where mm-hmm. you have the actual intelligence sitting locally on your systems, then, then we're going to see something that's extremely useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the writers and communicators can spend most of their time gathering the information, interviewing people, uh, and I think it'll be a real benefit to them. And then the the after drafting of content and the editing assistance will will just speed things up for them. It's like Clippy. We're getting Clippy back. Is exactly. that what you're saying? It's, it's Clippy. Yeah. <laughs> but but Clippy in a much smarter way. Clippy yeah. 3.0, right? Right. Um, but but no, I I actually like that. And what that speaks to the fact is that you know when you think about things like generative AI solutions like ChatGPT and others, they are trained on the data that comes into it. Mm-hmm. And they use all that data as a framework to come up with that generative response right. that they have, right? And uh, the reason why they couldn't do hands the right way is because they really weren't programmed on hands. We were more mm-hmm. focused on faces and other things. And then suddenly we realized, oh, this looks weird. And so they had to go through and teach it to do right. hands better, right? Having that tool in a, in a localized way within an organization, having your own you know, guide your 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 brand and content guidelines, having your own, maybe your own image library itself, right? That you can mm-hmm. that it could borrow from. Suddenly now what it becomes is a much powerful tool because you're in in effect, you're giving it the parameters. You're right. te- you're you're teaching it to a certain extent. And I remember AI has been around for a long time, right? It's been mm-hmm. around, it's not just the last year that we've heard about this, right. it's been around for a while. And even some of the earlier chatbot solutions that I was standing up at organizations, you had to train your chatbot. There is a certain amount of that responsibility that's still yeah. going to be there. It's not, and it's not initially training. It's like ongoing training, mm-hmm. right? It's you always have to care and feed for this tool in order for it to be more successful. Does that mean though, Ed, that content writers are going to be like also helping to educate their robotic partners? Is that what is that we're looking at? Yeah, well that's that's the that's the thing, isn't it? At some point you have to say, how much time do I need to spend to train my assistant when it'd be much quicker for me just to do it myself? I mean right. a really good writer can probably I've seen I've seen incredible writers who can who can punch out a 200 word essay, you know, a half an hour, and it's ready it's ready to be printed. Those folks aren't going to need any AI. Where will this tool fit? Where it would actually be worth the effort to train it to do the assistance? I'm I'm using it uh, in my CRM. Uh, I have they they just launched a tool where I can highlight a couple of sentences and then I pick from like eight different flavors of, do I want to be professional or authoritative or friendly or whatever? But they're so extreme. And like, when I say I want it to be um, casual and it's like talking in, in slang and, you know, it's like <laughs> way too extreme. And so I want, I want it to be a little more fine tuned. I'm not going to mess around with that. I spent, I spent some time, you know, trekking out three different ways of doing it. And by the time I was done, uh, half an hour had gone by and I should have just, I could have just left, started with the, what I was originally gave them, you know? Uh, so I think that's the problem with it at this point. Yeah, absolutely. But that's interesting to think that you could, we could kind of fine tune and tweak it, yeah. you know, and, and tweak your tone, et cetera. And in fact, what you're doing is you're training it to to talk like yourself. We're, right. we're almost creating our own synthetic replacements, right? It's like we're, yes. we're building our own digital clones so that we don't have to sit there and slog through notes from a Zoom call or what have exactly. you. Right. We're letting these the, the other tools do that. But in healthcare, it's different, and it's very different to in terms of yeah. education, right? You can't, you can't, you can't take any chances about bad data getting out there, right? You just can't. So, right. and in fact, any any professional in any industry, no matter what you're doing, should have the same attitude. I can't afford to have inaccurate information put out mm-hmm. under my name. Mm-hmm. So, how much time are you willing to invest? What's what's the ROI? of spending time trying to work with this tool to make sure everything's accurate. And I just don't think we're there yet. Well, we even have, you know, in, in the current stage before AI, we had health, these health libraries that we would implement mm-hmm. on our websites. And then the, sure enough, there's a physician within the, right. within your, your ranks that says, wait, I don't agree with that. That's actually right. incorrect. Can you remove that? This is how I would do it. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to that level where they're going to start to complain about some generative content that maybe right. even came out of an interview that they themselves have said, exactly. right? Yep. Right. Yep. Um, 
And that's the world that we're going to live in, where we're going to have to have, if we implement it, as you're saying, we have to have such good oversight of what we're putting out there, because you're right. We make one mistake. That's going to be, everyone's going to hear about it. Yeah. It's, right. it's so. going to be the big story, right? right? Like just like that New York Times person who tried the Microsoft Bing AI. Oh, yeah. And then suddenly it told it it was in love with him. You right, know, right. that became the huge story, right? right. So another hallucination. I, I know, another hallucination, right? And, and you know, it's interesting because that, that writer, I follow him, he actually does a good podcast called mm-hmm. Hard Fork. And okay. he was talking about, he actually talked to the programmers behind this. And the programmer said that the chatbot thought that's what it wanted it to say to him. Uh-huh. And so therefore it basically developed a fictional story for him. Right. And I could see that. I could totally understand that when we're getting into the world of generative AI, but in our world, since we're highly regulated, is there going to be like a long leash for us to make these mistakes with the, no, the tools all. that we're doing? I, I know that they're, the government is looking at trying to regulate this a little bit. And I also know that over in the last year, we had a lot of people from HSS and, and OCR come through and say, oh, by the way, third-party tracking, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, a, there's sort of oh, a heavy-handed yeah, right. oversight. Do you think that there's going to be some kind of stance that we're going to be taking against yeah, uh, using think, generative AI? I yeah. think so. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy who actually set up ChatGTP. Mm-hmm. He's been showing up in front of Senate committees, begging the government to regulate them. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been he's been very strident about it and saying, we need governments to regulate us. Mm-hmm. How often does that happen? So, yeah. so when I, I sit up and take notice of that, here's the guy who created our, what we currently think of as AI, and he's begging the governments of the world to regulate them. That, that gives one pause. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I think that I think there will be a lot of oversight, but really the oversight, any professional healthcare organization like the ones mm-hmm. that we're in, there that shouldn't be they don't need, there shouldn't be any regulation needed. That's just par for the course. You go to right. your editors, you have people that do fact checking, they still need to do their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. anything, anything that is set it and forget it, <laughs> avoid. <laughs> Avoid, avoid completely. Yeah. And that makes me think about AI governance and yep. the need for a sort of AI governance, because that's kind of what this whole thing mm-hmm. is around, right? It's like, do you, you know, I, I have heard of some health systems now that are starting to develop an AI governance team okay. that, that compri- comprises of people from a clinical perspective and from a research perspective and an operational perspective, an IT perspective. Mm-hmm. Very few times does marketing get invited to the table, but I think that's going to be more and more that we're going to be right. there and because we're using more of these tools, right? If you think about it. Do you think that this author- this like governance structure- oh, I think it's, it's absolutely necessary. And I'm, I'm not someone who would normally uh, be asking for, uh, as you know, from my time running websites <laughs> yeah. inside a hospital, I'm not ask, uh, usually asking for someone to oversee me and, and provide governance. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely one of those cases. You don't want a doctor who doesn't really understand the implications of AI trying to automate his communications mm-hmm. uh, with his patients when he doesn't realize that you know the pitfalls of that. So definitely, governance has to be in place. Uh, I- all the different all the different areas you just mentioned. Absolutely. And I think I almost think that it has to go even further. It has to extend to your partnership networks. Mm-hmm. Those so-called partners that are using AI, they have to have some kind of oh, governance associated yeah. with them. I'm even wondering if this if it does require at a, at a statewide level or a regional level, some kind of AI governance structure, right? I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to ha- start to have AI and healthcare conferences, right, to talk about mm-hmm. these things, where we could start to actually understand best practices, how we manage these things. The AI has gotten, it's like the, it's gotten uh, up outside in front of the skis, right? We're, we're, we're implementing it before we even realize what we're doing. Oh, definitely. It's, it's, that's, and that's the danger. Uh, and that's, that's what's caused some of the, some of the embarrassing things that we've been, we've, we've seen in the, in the news. I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to change the universe. But um, I think uh, it's going to be an exciting next couple of years. You know, and I know you equated this to, um, at the onset of this conversation, you equated it to like the iPhone, right? When it came out, yeah. which I thought about too, right? Because the iPhone was a game changer 
in the way we actually access the internet. Right. At the time, we realized it was different. We knew it was different. We, but there was a big hype around it, but we didn't exactly know what it was. And now right. we kind of understand that. We also understand the negative implications about the iPhone. Mm-hmm. I can't help but also think this is a little bit like social media. Oh, yes. You know, when you and I were there at the beginning of healthcare social media, and it was going to change the world. It was going to change how everybody communicated between healthcare organizations and the patients. And none of that happened. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. None of it happened. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, some of us, myself included, said, no, it's simply a way to communicate to people. Yeah. Just like any other channel, mm-hmm. the telephone or TV or whatever, it's just another way of communicating. Um, and I think that... Uh, we're definitely we're definitely at the crest of the hype cycle. Maybe, yeah. maybe we're just starting to go down a little bit towards the disillusionment valley, but uh, mm-hmm. you know that's where we are now. And uh, I, I, I think it, it, it there's not too many people like you and me who've been around long enough that we see these cycles going over. But that's what that's. that's what <laughs> are you calling us old? Old man, get off my lawn, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you you see us enough of these cycles, and and you mm-hmm. realize that uh, I'll, I'll I'll take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and there when social media in the heyday, we had whole teams dedicated to social media, mm-hmm. directors of social media, and the whole teams dedicated to it. Now we're starting to see it synthesize into our general communications and our marketing efforts. Um, we're probably going to see AI go the same way. And in this case, also extended to digital health and clinical work and et cetera. It's going to become sort of ubiquitous to everything that we do. Yeah, I think it's just going to be, I, I think it's going to be integrated into the tools that we use now. Just like I mentioned, Word. Mm-hmm. So everyone who communicates uses Microsoft Word to write content. Mm-hmm. Um, it's simply going to be another feature in there that's going to be an assistant to you. Yeah. And um I think if we if we treat it like that way instead of looking at it as something that's going to create brand new things out of whole cloth, then then we'll be in good shape. Yeah. Well, Ed, this has been a great conversation. Good. Always yeah, insightful. Yeah. Always, I, I always love talking to you. I think that uh, we're going to keep keep uh, track of this. We're yep. going to hit, hit the trough of disillusionment soon, so then we can wallow in that trough for a while, and <laughs> right. then it'll come out and normalize. But I, I'm just curious, as and you and I are always going to be testing out these new tools and oh, sure. trying the read AIs and everything else that's out there, because I, I, I think you and I are both fascinated to see how these things work, mm-hmm. but we always go into it with a grain of salt, and that's kind of what I'm hearing from what you're saying here, too, is yeah. uh, it, use the tools, but use them with measure. Yeah. 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 Well, Ed, before we leave, let people know how oh, sure. they can reach out to you. Um, you can find me on martech.health. That's the website that I run. My contact information is there in the in the footer. I'd love to hear from you, from anyone who wants to talk about AI or, or anything else going on mm-hmm. in this crazy business. And Ed, you're on LinkedIn too, which we'll link to yes, in the show notes. I'm on LinkedIn. And that's about it. I, just, I dropped Twitter about uh, about a month after Elon came up came on board I, <laughs> I I shut down I had a Twitter account for martech.health that had I think 13,000 uh, followers wow I shut that down I tried I tried Mastodon it didn't really yeah. take off now we've got uh threads we've got posts <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking. Do I need to start up the social media network list for hospitals? Because there's so many. I mean, we're going to have we're going to have Blue Sky out at some point. Which yeah, it's going to take yeah. a lot of market share. Things are going to be crazy for a while until social media settles down and a new basic leader comes out. Well, there you go. Well, we'll we'll live through that roller coaster as well. Yeah. That hype cycle as well, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Ed, thanks again for your okay. time today. It's been a Same great here. conversation. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Well, special thanks to Ed for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate his time, and it's always good to hear his voice. He has been a longtime friend and colleague and uh, advocate and supporter of, of both Chris and myself, but uh, obviously a number of folks around the industry. So it's always always fun to see and hear from him, so appreciate that. Quick plug again for the website, touchpoint.health, the TPS report. Uh, go sign up there. Uh, be a little value add for you as you start your week. Uh, but before we get out of here, a couple recommendations. What, uh, Chris, what do you got today? Well, I'm going to recommend something, Reed, that Ed and I were talking about in the episode or in the interview. And that's a new tool that I started using called Reed.ai. Not your name, R-E-E-D, R-E-A-D.ai. Oh, okay. Okay. Have you ever wanted a, a, a virtual assistant, Reed? I mean, who wouldn't want one? <laughs> exactly. That's what read.ai professes itself to be. What it is, is an AI application that you sign up for. And then uh, any type of virtual team meeting that you do, be it Zoom, Teams, Google Meet, whatever it is, it joins as your virtual assistant and it listens into the phone call. And then at the very end of the call, it highlights everything that you talked about. It creates a summary. It provides a transcript. It also outlines action items that you made during the call with timestamps of when you made them in the call. And it basically sums up everything you need to know about that meeting without taking any notes. And I love it. I've been using it. Now, of course, it's AI, so you have to read it and make sure it's right because it sometimes doesn't understand different words. Uh, that you say or different things. And it, with every AI application, human intervention is important. But I'm telling you, it is a time saver. At the end of the call, it does all that summary. It sends it off an email to everybody on the call. So everybody has that email. Nice. Yeah. So I'm liking it. I'm playing around with it. I'm not saying it's the one I've, I'm in the free trial still. So uh, I'll let you know. But right now, I'm really liking it. I think I might move forward with uh, investing in it. And by the way, Pricing is pretty affordable. It is like from a uh, from a uh, annual perspective, you're talking like ten dollars a month. Oh, nice. Okay, very cool. Very cool. That's my recommendation. Read.ai. I have to check it out. Very nice. Um, I am actually going to recommend a television show. Uh, it has been on for some years. Better Call Saul. But season six, the final season, is recently on Netflix. So again, people may have watched it uh, live. Is that a thing? Quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, that is a thing. (laughs) um, So you you could have already seen it, but if you have not, or you're just watching it as the seasons become available on Netflix, season six, the final season is now available and it's great. I mean, it's just, it's so well done and it starts to catch up with where uh, an overlap into kind of the Breaking Bad storylines and things like that as it was over those last few years. But anyway, I can't recommend it enough. It's just such a good, well-written show. But uh, Breaking Bad, and um, while great, I, I may like Better Call Saul better. Wow, that's a, that's a big bar right there because I think Breaking Bad is one of the best shows. It is it's, it's really hard to beat. So, I, again, if you haven't seen it, start from the beginning, certainly. But um, if you didn't realize and uh, are caught up, season six is now available. So that's my recommendation. There you go. I'm going to have to watch that. I've watched all the way up through season five. So I'm excited. It's on Netflix so I can binge watch that when I'm ready. So there you go. Great recommendation. Go. All right, folks. Thanks again. Uh, another week in the books. Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. and We'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.